0: Welcome to episode 40 of the wellness speaks podcast. Today we're speaking with Joe Tippins. He's from Edmond, Oklahoma and has 40 years of experience in capital markets, business development, acquisitions, venture capital fund management, private equity fund management, hedge fund management, and entrepreneurial management. But that is not what Joe is here to speak with us about today. Today, he's going to share with us his personal story of cancer diagnosis and the alternative treatments he sought out, which, in his case, were extremely successful. He tells us himself, quote, I'm not a businessman, not a doctor or a scientist. As such, I am only really qualified to tell my unique story and the stories of others on a nameless basis who have followed my same path with success. He's got a pretty wild story, and we're really excited to share it with you today. Let's dive in. I'm Jade. And I'm Shauna. And this is Wellness Speaks,
1: a podcast about functional medicine and healthy living.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today, Joe. We're super excited to have you on our podcast so that you can share um, your story with our listeners. You've got a pretty wild and interesting story to share. Um, So, I heard about you front and your story from my mother who grew up in Weatherford, which is where you grew up, correct? Mm -hmm. Weatherford, Oklahoma. And um, she was the same age as one of your older siblings. And I think they shared your blog on Facebook. And so she immediately sent it to me Mm -hmm. and was like, you've got to interview this guy (laughs) for your podcast. Um, And once I read your story, I was like, yes. We definitely need to talk to Joe. Um, so I'd really love it if you could start off with um, sharing, maybe not like the full story, but more or less, um, what it is, why we're talking to you today.
1: Okay. <clears throat> well, first of all, um, I wouldn't believe the story myself if I didn't live through it uh, mm-hmm. because it is so unusual. Um, but in. Uh, the summer of 16, or, or in uh, August, or almost Labor Day of 2016, I would I had accepted a job, uh, a new partnership position with a private equity firm in Zurich, and I was moving to Switzerland. I had my house, my clothes were already there, I had my Swiss green card, and I was off to, to the Alps.
0: <laughs>
1: and <clears throat> the weekend before my flight, I went into a weekend dock in a box because I had some nasal congestion and a little bit of a cough and I wanted something to, to get me over there. And this weekend dock in a box did a chest x-ray and uh, recommended that I get a, a CT cause he saw something that he didn't like. I was kind of stubborn and thinking, I'm just going to go to Zurich. Forget about that. And this guy wouldn't take no for an answer. And on Monday afternoon before my Tuesday morning flight, I went in and had a CT and I had a uh, tumor in the size of my fist in my lower left uh, lung. Wow. And um, after getting a biopsy done and finding out it was small cell lung cancer and doesn't take much to Google how, how deadly small cell lung cancer is. I uh, uh, to make a long story short ended up two days later at MD Anderson and in the fall of 2016, endured quite a, uh, a terrible endure of, of chemo and radiation and brain radiation. Uh, and the brain radiation was prophylactic uh, to keep it from spreading to my brain. Um, and they fried my esophagus. I lost uh, all my weight. I, I, I couldn't eat for eight weeks. Wow. And I didn't want to do a feeding tube, so I decided uh, to eat off, to live off of my fat stores and my muscle stores. And I went from 220 pounds to 105 pounds. Wow! Wow! And when my esophagus finally healed and I could eat again, uh, a PET scan showed good news and bad news. the The bad news, the good news was, is that the great big monster in my lung was gone. But the bad news was it had metastasized to my entire body. My, I had tumors in my neck, my stomach, my liver, my bladder, my pancreas, and my bones. Man. My PET my scan lit up like a Christmas tree from head to toe. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that when small cell lung cancer metastasizes that far afield, uh, you're pretty much a goner.
0: What's the prognosis for that?
1: Less than less than 1% survival rate and a median and a median life expectancy of under three months. My goodness. I was told by MD Anderson, there was nothing else they could do at that point. Just go home and hire hospice. However, they said we have a couple of experimental drugs we'll try on, but we want to tell you Joe that these experimental drugs will not save your life black and white. Your best case scenario <clears throat> excuse me, your best case scenario is uh, maybe a one to two year extension of life. Wow. And so I decided, okay, what one to two years is better than two months.
0: What's the quality of life typically like during that one oh, to two the, years?
1: The, the side effects were terrible. Um, so I, the next day I come home from MD Anderson and the next day I ended up talking to a a large animal veterinarian in Western Oklahoma, Cordell, very close to where your mom grew up uh, in Weatherford. And I went to o- Oklahoma state with this guy and uh, he said, Joe, I've got to tell you a story about a lady that was doing cancer research in mice and kind of found out by accident that this dog dewormer was batting a thousand at killing cancer. And she herself came down with fourth stage glioblastoma, brain brain cancer wrapped around her brain stem and it was inoperable and she was sent home to higher hospice. Well, I had just been sent home to higher hospice. And so I decided, and and by the way, she started taking the dog medicine and 12 weeks later, she was all clear.
0: 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah,
1: 12 weeks. And so on January 15th of 2017, right after my PET scan lit up like a Christmas tree, I started taking the finbendazole, which is a anthelmintic drug. There's a, there's about eight drugs in the anthelmintic category. Um, and they all anthelmintic simply means to kill parasites.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and these are all anti intestinal parasite drugs. And so I started, I, I it's kind of, I, there's a lot of jokes about this. I mean, I've, I I ordered a, a a one year supply from one eight hundred pet meds, and I'm I'm such a good customer. They give me a dog bone with each order. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
0: and do you have dogs that are benefiting from that? Yeah,
1: I, my my dogs get the bones. <laughs> um, so I started, uh, and, and let me back up a little bit. Okay. I had also done. You know, I'm a voracious researcher myself. I used to be in the venture business, venture capital business doing drug delivery development. And so I'm not a complete neophyte on the process. And I I came to the conclusion that the, a few other supplements would, would benefit me. And I was already taking those when I heard about this story. And I started this stuff in January 15th of 2017. And really had no idea what was happening in my body because my next scan, follow-up scan at at MD Anderson, wasn't until May. Mm -hmm. So I went half of January, all of February, all of March, all of April, just taking this stuff blindly. (laughs) And went in for my PET scan on the first week of May 2017. And remember, I had probably a total of 40 or 50 tumors from head to toe. Wow. in in january and when i went in the first week of may they came in the room quite dumbfounded because i was all clear
0: not a single tumor
1: and not a single tumor it was dark
0: as if and you I, had never had cancer
1: exactly and so i did not tell because i was on this clinical trial and i didn't want to get kicked off of it and i decided hey it's it's my body my my choice their problem absolutely and I didn't tell them. Uh, you didn't tell was.
0: them that you were taking the dog dewormer.
1: Not not at that point. And then I went to another scan in um, July mm-hmm. of seventeen. Again, all clear. And I didn't tell them. <laughs> 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 and uh, the trial <laughs> the trial ended uh, in September of. 2017, and I, when, I, when I knew I couldn't be kicked off of the trial, I decided to fess up, uh, but before I fessed up, I kind of baited them. <laughs> I, I said, how many people, and, and, and my case was so unusual to them that the uh, executives from the drug company on the clinical trial were in the hospital and wanted to talk to me.
0: I bet they did.
1: <laughs> and and um, so I'm sitting there with my oncologist and the scientist at the drug company in a conference table. And I asked him, I said, how many people, I said, first of all, what was this trial about in terms of the people? And it was basically 1100 people that were all in my same situation.
0: That's a pretty decent size study.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the purpose of the trial was not to determine anybody on remission. It was an objective where a trial where they try to achieve an objective and the objective (laughs) was a one to two year extension of life over the baseline. And I asked them out of 1100 people, how many people had total remission like myself and they got a very sheepish look on their face and said, well, you're, you're it.
0: You're the only one out of 1100 people.
1: Right. And so I knew at that point in time, it was the dog medicine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I looked at the scientist across the table and I said, you need to get your pet." And same company. in that message is the human side. I said, you need to get your dog people with your people people. <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at me, they looked at me kind of funny. And I said, uh, then I told them what I was doing, and they're all just kind of scratching their head. Well, of course, obviously, um, they probably had to th- probably had to throw me out of the trial, uh, but and I'm the only and I'm the only success story.
0: I said, "Throw this outlier out of here." Right.
1: Yeah. So, did yeah. anybody
0: reject what you were saying? Did any of the doctors you spoke to?
1: Well, my my oncologist at MD Anderson is a very good guy and has become a good friend. And, you know, when I first fessed up, he said, kind of, kind of upsetting, he said, you know, Joe, we've known for decades that this class of anthelmintic drugs could have a negative impact on cancer. I'm just going, wait a minute, you've known for what? decades? Wait, why don't you do anything about it, right? And in fact, there was a sister anthelmintic drug in the late 80s, early 90s that was prescribed for uh, colon cancer. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but anyway, at the end of the day, his answer is, privately, Joe, I will agree with you that this really mattered. Interesting. But I can't make that an official MD Anderson position, and let's just agree to disagree and say I'll meet you halfway and say it had an impact. <laughs> he refuses to not believe that maybe the combination of the clinical trial, Doug, and Uh, the dog medicine was what did the trick. I And I would have thought that was true. Um, And also I thought maybe because I was forced to do eight weeks of fasting that maybe that had an impact as well. But now that I'm two and a half years into it with uh, 170,000 people in 70 countries and 50 other success stories, 20 of which the only thing they were taking was the, the dog medicine. I am now convinced it's the dog medicine and not anything to do with what anything else I did. But one could say that in my unique case, uh, because I fasted and because I was taking an immunotherapy drug along with the dog medicine, that it was some combination of all of the above that that made it successful for me. I don't believe that because I have too many other success stories other than me that have nothing to do with that. So, I was all clear in September uh, of 17, January of 18. uh, And I'm, I'm going back when I go back in uh, June, that will be, uh, I've already been nine quarters clear. And so this will be 10 quarters of all clear. Um, And I, I will, I will, I will take this the rest of my life as, as a prophylactic. I, in fact, out of the, hundred and seventy thousand people who have read my blog, I know there are there are hundreds that are taking it as a as a preventative medicine. There is a research paper linked in my blog uh, from three scientists in India who have not only figured out that it works on, but it, they have figured out the pathways. Three separate parallel pathways of why it works, and it's fascinating uh, research. I talked to the lead researcher, and he said, you know, Joe, in India, he said, Joe, in 12 years ago, I was working at MD Anderson in Houston, Texas, doing research on this same drug at MD Anderson, and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> so, and 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 my oncologist had no idea that there was a separate research project at his own uh, institution twelve years ago on this drug. So, these scientists have known for a long time that there's there's potential here. Johns Hopkins has taken a sister drug, mebendazole, which is approved for human consumption. And they've done full uh, toxicity trials and clinical trials on, on glioblastoma successfully with a sister drug. I, they would tell you that mebendazole is better than fenbendazole, And I, I'm calling BS on it. I, I think the, the dog version is every bit as good. And in some cases better than the one that's already approved for human consumption.
0: Why do you, why do you believe that? What makes you think that?
1: Um, well, first of all I've got you know they have a few success stories. I've got more success stories than Johns Hopkins <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, and and finally, I'm getting some relief. I had a meeting uh, just Monday of this week. the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation and for those people who are not part of uh, Oklahoma, it's not just a local local Yokel research group in Oklahoma. This is one of the largest medical research institutions in the world um, and the CEO of that uh, institution is also a cancer patient and um, and a local billionaire oil man has agreed to fund uh, a project there and they are going to stand up full-time people to take all this off my shoulders and to build a detailed database of all of my success stories. Now, <clears throat> even even when I get a detailed database of fifty success stories, and it's it seems to be cancer agnostic. Um, we have success stories with metastatic breast cancer, widely metastasized melanoma, uh, metastasized prostate cancer, metastasized colorectal cancer, uh, l- lymph the blood borne can- cancers of lymphoma, and I think we even have a couple of leukemia cases. It's crazy how agnostic it really is. And it, I, I think the Indian research paper outlines three pathways of why it's working, which gives you a little bit of an inclination as to why it could be cancer agnostic. Number one, the internal structure of a, a cancer cell is has microtubules that are required for it to be able to replicate and divide. Uh, and, it, and think of it in terms of pillars that are holding up the cell wall. And so finbendazole is knocking out those microtubules and and disrupting the, the cancer cells ability to replicate. Okay. The second pathway, which is really interesting is, and, and they, I've talked to the guys, they know it's working. They just don't know why yet, but it is um, interrupting the, the cancer cells ability to metabolize sugar. Um, and the third uh, pathway is all of us have in our bodies a cancer killing gene called p fifty three. And if you two are healthy and you don't have cancer, I can promise you you have cancer cells floating through your body twenty four seven, but you have a healthy level of p fifty three that's going around knocking it out twenty four seven. Well, you'll hear about, You'll, you'll, if you read about cancer, you hear about p53 mutations or mutations that are causing the cancer. Well, that's because what they're saying is the p53 has been either disabled or through a mutation, or for some other reason, your body has stopped producing it or whatever. Uh, but you have uh, problems with p53 knocking the cancer out. And the Indian scientists prove that the fenbendazole dog medicine is spiking production of healthy p53 to go in and fight the cancer wow so all three of those things are going on simultaneously and why i believe it's a really good yeah. uh, pro- prophylactic medicine um uh, so i i have no problem advising it. and at the end of the day the, the worst downside risk here is um maybe at 5 to 10% of the people report some mild diarrhea Well, if you're fighting cancer, a little bit of mild diarrhea isn't a big deal, right?
0: Right. I think we would all agree that a little (laughs) bit of diarrhea is better than three months to live.
1: Yeah. Well, and so if you do, people can, when you have 170,000 people reading this story and they all have their own idea about what's going on here and they do their own research and they don't know what they're doing, and I get all kinds of crazy stories. Um, People are funny. I have... 50 emails a day where somebody emailed me from the blog asking me where the blog is. So, okay. <laughs> 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 so um, I, you will find that there is research out there that says finbendazole could uh, damage the liver and uh, the, the dosage that I was recommended uh, it's such a small dosage, and it was three days on and four days off. And uh, the Johns Hopkins research uh, proved that the human body can withstand 300, milli- 300 milligrams a day long term without a problem.
0: And what's the dosage that you were
1: taking? Uh, when you're, when this re- yeah, when you read the research that says there could be a problem with the liver, you, you kind of have an uh, uh, aha moment. They did the research on mice and birds at dosages literally a thousand times what what I'm taking. Oh wow! Well, of course, if you take something a thousand times anything, right. you're going to yeah. cause problems somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, I um, it is a real mess to to synthesize all this data into a database because from well, first of all, when I stood up the blog. It it, had, it did not have the intent that it has today. Um, when, I set, when I wrote the blog, it was totally selfish. I have a full-time job and real career, and I was getting 100 phone calls a day, and people were wanting me to start from ground zero telling this story. And I just didn't have time. Mm-hmm. I, I completely became out of control. So I thought, ah, I'll do a blog, and then people can go to the blog, and they won't have to call me. Well, that just made it worse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just got inundated with emails and phone calls. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, it went from, it, you know, it started out in in June of last year at, you know, 5000 a month. And then it started increasing and increasing and increasing. And then just recently, uh, Channel 5 here in Oklahoma City did an expose, and they actually mm-hmm. include they included – they included Dr. Prescott at o- OMRF uh, in the in the newscast, and from that, newspapers all over the world picked it up. I was on a golf trip with my brothers, and uh, I went teed off at eight o'clock one morning. And when I got off the golf course, the next, at four hours later, I had eight hundred emails. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and because it, it was in the Globe Mail, which is a you know it's a tabloid, it's like a, a National Enquirer in the UK, uh, but they have a million daily viewers, and oh, so goodness. it went in, it went in the Globe Mail, and then a, a paper in Paris picked it up, and then one in Tokyo picked it up, and if wow. you look at the if you look at the global map of where the hits on the blog are coming from, it's it's just explode. Um, I I had the week before that I had maybe a hundred people in Japan and today there's probably 20,000 in Japan. So in, in, in one week,
0: Oh my gosh,
1: (laughs) it's, it's really (laughs) insane. So with that backdrop, the location of all these success stories is in my personal email. It's in Facebook messenger. It's, we have a Facebook page. uh, It's in, um, text messages. It's in like nine locations. And so I'm going to get these people at OMRF to just take over my personal life and dump everything on them. <laughs> just let put them, it all together. Let, let them go find all these success stories because they're getting reported in literally uh, two or three a week. Yeah. Oh. Success stories. That's
0: um, amazing. Um, so with the, with all the research that has happened, um, I know there hasn't been a whole lot, but it seems like the research that has happened that you've talked about, it's been semi-promising and obviously all of your success stories that you have, what do you believe is the resistance with getting it more of a mainstream treatment?
1: Well, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, Although I don't, I do know there's games being played Um, for sure. um, You know, these drugs are all, decades removed from patent so one of the real challenges here is the reason johns hopkins chose mebendazole and not finbendazole is because it was already approved for human consumption um, and so repurposing it for cancer is easy for a doctor to prescribe it mm-hmm. um, and but let's take finbendazole which I happen to to believe is in certain instances is better. Um, it's a it's not approved for human consumption. It's a it's a it's a vet veterinary medicine, mm-hmm. and in order to repurpose it for cancer would require an entire full blown one hundred and fifty to two hundred million dollar clinical trial. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that $150 to $200 million, the person that did that heavy lifting would have a generic drug and generic competition the next day because it's 20 years removed from patent. Right. Nobody's going to spend that money to have a generic drug. It's just never going to happen. So what, what we're trying to do with the OMRF project, remember, when you do a clinical trial, it's forward facing and very highly controlled to meet all the rigorous standards of the FDA. When you're looking back at historical data, that's considered anecdotal. And so even though it's anecdotal, I believe uh, uh, if if we go in audit 50 cases where we look at the medical files and we talk to the doctors and we look at the scans before and after and we look at everything else they're doing. Remember, I think I have about at least 20 of the 50 cases were, you know, sent home to higher hospice. And the only thing they were taking was finbendazole mm-hmm. So that's pretty impressive data right there, even though it's anecdotal. Because yeah. you go in and you audit those and you talk to the doctors, you look at the scans, you look at the medical files, and you build a database of true life stories of success, then I think we can get somebody to look forward and really increase this. Now, having said that, I know just, for example, because of me, there is a research program at uh, the Stevenson Center at the University of Oklahoma. A daughter-in-law of a friend of mine thought my story was crazy. She uh, did a little bit of pre-work in the the Petri dish on some of the hardest to kill ovarian cancers. And found out that it worked better than any compound she'd tested so far. Wow. So based on that, she, so based on that, she filed for grant applications and received them. So now she has a grant money on ovarian cancer and finbendazole.
0: Wow. And I, I
1: haven't kept up with her. I don't know where she is. I think she's already into animal studies like mice mice studies uh, with it. So we know that there is research doing on ovarian. Johns Hopkins is active in brain cancer with this whole class of drugs. And um, I know at Rutgers University, one of the leading cancer cell biologists, he uh, got a hold of my story from a friend of a friend of a friend and started doing research. He has three full-time postdocs working on it now wow. because of me. So we are waking people up and research is starting to, to gel. Well, um, um, so we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think to me, and I, I, I don't want to divulge, uh, who told me this. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a very powerful politician who said, you know, the United States government is spending tens of billions of dollars on cancer through Medicare and Medicaid. And the one, party in the world that could stand to benefit the most would be the United States government. So so what? It cost $150 million to, to do a clinical trial. If you can move the needle 1% for the United States government, it would pay for itself 100 times over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So his idea is to take the OMRF data once it's put together and done and maybe try to get to Capitol Hill and say, okay, wake up people. Here's a way that you can save some real money and, it's, and, it, and it should be done. So We'll see. Yeah. I'm only one guy out here in Oklahoma. Trying them, and I, and I've yeah, got but a, look
0: at this huge difference that you have already absolutely. made. Absolutely, um, I mean, this is worldwide. Like this isn't just Oklahoma.
1: It's yeah. It's crazy. Huge. I, I, I will tell you that, um, uh, anybody with a brain would sit around and say, how can I monetize this? Because I'm, I'm spending literally eight hours a day on cancer and I've got a real job. Um, and so I keep thinking how can I monetize this how can I monetize this and then I get a success story in and, <laughs> and the feeling you get is unbelievable right yeah. so I don't need to make money off of it that's yeah. that's compensation enough right <laughs> yeah
0: you're right you're right that knowing that you more or less saved someone else's life
1: yeah when you get one of those it's pretty unusual that's an That's unusual, unusual feeling. Right. And awesome. I, you know, I don't think, I, I don't think I'm out of the woods. Uh, I think I'm standing at the edge of the clearing. Um, and so I'm going to continue to take this stuff. I continue to do research. I look, for example, if I, a remission, I already have my plan B and my plan C uh, alternatives. Uh, I'm never going to go back to chemotherapy and radiation. It's not going to happen.
0: So you did um, do chemo and radiation initially? Oh my
1: gosh, uh, yeah. So I started in August, in September of of sixteen, uh, the f- doing chemo and radiation uh, throughout September, October, November, December. Four months of chemo and radiation that came way closer to killing me than the cancer ever did. Hmm. And after spending one point two million dollars the traditional ways, uh, I was saved by a seven dollar a week dog medicine <laughs> from one eight hundred pet meds.
0: That you can order yourself. <laughs> you,
1: can order, you can order. You can order on Amazon, right, and have there wow. the next day. So, uh, and in the radiation in the fall of sixteen, they came through. It's six different angles, twice a day. So 12 times a day I was getting bombarded and all 12 times went through my esophagus. And so they fried my esophagus into bacon, literally. Nothing would go down, even water. So, you know, Mahatma Gandhi's record at all of his hunger strikes was 21 days. I went eight weeks, no food, no water and the only way i was able to stay hydrated is i got iv fluids once a week to stay hydrated and i had zero nutrients for 8 weeks and wow. so it, just, it shows you what the human body can withstand so now the I look, iv
0: the ivs were fluid only there were no there yeah, you can't not do,
1: you really can't do nutrients in okay. in, the blood, in the blood i mean it was just just fluids um but i i looked like i came out of an auschwitz jewish concentration camp when i when i finished that um and then you went on a journey of trying to learn how to eat again and all of that it was just, it's it's quite a journey and that's what 99% of the people who have cancer go through is these traditional methods are just so caustic and wow. And terrible. I mean, they're because really they terrible. Don't
0: de- they don't just destroy the cancer cells. Yeah.
1: Oh, they're killing everything, you know? And so, and, and then some of the side effects on the immunotherapy, which is now the latest and greatest is just as bad because you're turning your immune system on to kill healthy stuff. Um, I, I just, uh, I think I really believe in some of these alternatives along my journey of research. I'm going to plug some other people here. There is a group out of the UK. Well, first of all, there's a lady named Jane McClelland. I highly recommend anybody with cancer to read her book. She's from the UK, and she cured herself. You know, way before me. She's eight, eight, ten years ahead of me, and uh, she cured herself in a very unusual way. But she did it by repurposing drugs that weren't intended for cancer. And the, the title of her book is—you you guys should probably do a blog a, a podcast with her. She's she's really interesting. The For title sure. of her the title of her book is "How to Starve Your Cancer." Now you would imply from that, and a lot of people do, that she's talking about diet, and she's really not. When she says "starve your cancer," she's talking about starving the pathways by which cancer can survive and thrive at the cellular level, not. And part of it's diet, but it's, it's really not about diet. Um, and- Did you
0: make any dietary changes? Because you had mentioned that part of the way that this drug works is by uh, making it where the cancer cell can't yeah. process sugars, glucose, which we know sugar feeds cancer. And that's often something when people are trying to treat naturally is they'll remove right. virtually well, that- all carbohydrates well, from they- their diet. We've seen some success with that, but not like what you
1: saw. Yeah. Well, okay. The truth is I'm a real foodie. And when my, and when my esophagus healed, I didn't care. I wanted to eat.
0: <laughs> so really the only dietary I changes ate, you made. I ate everything. <laughs> so the only dietary changes you made were that eight weeks of more or less forced fasting.
1: Yes, ex- exactly. Now, and I don't, and I eat too much sugar and all of that. Um, but if I was really being serious about it, I would, uh, and I would advise people, you know, knock out all the sugar, hundred percent. And, you know, anything that converts to sugar, get rid of it. It's, it's, a, it's the enemy. Uh, but I don't, I don't practice what I preach.
0: <laughs> At least you're honest <laughs> about it.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. And so what Jane and in another group, that's a for-profit group. Uh, well, Jane's for profit because she sells books, but um, another for-profit group out of the UK, uh, which it, it, we have a mutual admiration between all of us. They uh, they are fascinated by my story and they agree, they believe in my story, and I'm fascinated by their story and I believe in their story. So we're all kind of uh, in in cahoots here together. Yeah. They have not just finbendazole, but they have a whole cocktail. Of drugs that they have repurposed for cancer, and and it stems from Jane's work uh, on how to starve the cancer cells and the pathways by which the cancer cells can thrive and and survive. And you know, for example, to to your statement about sugar, uh, one of the repurposed drugs in their cocktail is metformin, uh, mm-hmm. which which is a diabetic drug. Yeah um and uh, and the other one, one of the second one in their cocktail is mebendazole the sister drug difenbendazole um and then they have a couple of three other repurposed drugs and so jane even has a facebook page called the repurposed drugs for cancer uh, page um and she has quite a following um i'm catching up with her though <laughs> in terms of
0: <laughs> in
1: terms of people um you know mine mine is just spiking upwards now. It's just ridiculous. Um, What's
0: the name of that group from the UK?
1: It's called Care Oncology, C-A-R-E. And they are now in the United States. Um, And um, so they're kind of a unique business model. You pay them, it's not very expensive. You pay them like a upfront fee and then like a little quarterly fee that's not very much money. And then they will get doctors to prescribe all these, this cocktail of repurposed drugs. Because in the, in the United States and the UK, uh, metformin, for example, it's never intended for cancer. But if a doctor wants to prescribe metformin for cancer, he can, because it's approved for human consumption. So a doctor can prescribe anything that's approved. So they'll get a, they have doctors that'll, you know, prescribe this cocktail of drugs that are not intended for cancer and kind of repurpose them in a cocktail for, for cancer and very unique business model. Uh, not, not overly expensive. Um, and I'm not doing it and I'll tell you why I'm keeping it in reserve for my plan B if I come out of remission <laughs> Well, <laughs> so, sticking
0: with what you know, works though. And I'm sure it's you yeah. know, not all cancer is exactly the same.
1: Now on on and so
0: perhaps for your unique situation what you're doing is the best.
1: Yeah. Well well I, I'm a real I'm a real believer in Finn and as obviously. Now so it in order to stimulate the conversation but but provide it only for patients and caregivers, I stood up a Oh, Facebook. Well, and my own personal Facebook page just got completely bastardized and taken over by cancer. And so I've got over a thousand Facebook friends, and I think I only have two friends. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and the eight hundred of them are are cancer people. So I decided to do a new Facebook page, and it's by the same name as my blog, "My Cancer Story Rocks." And then I realized that was a mistake because I couldn't moderate it and. And administer the the, the Facebook page. So Joe, I asked,
0: you need yourself a virtual assistant.
1: Well, I I tell you, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of really cool people out there. So I just put one Facebook post up that said, "I'm looking for volunteers to to moderate and administer my Facebook page because I I don't not have the time. i got overrun with volunteers. <laughs> so, so I have uh, and and. Uh, uh, my volunteers are split between Australia, New Zealand, for the Southern Hemisphere, and North America for the Northern Hemisphere. So we have 24-hour coverage on the Facebook page. That's fantastic. <laughs> and and these girls are just Gestapo. They <laughs> they are tough, and and I'm okay with that because it there's a lot of people that want to join a page like that to sell something on a multi-level marketing deal or to be negative naysayers or whatever that just mm-hmm. need to be gone and it has to be policed. Yeah. 26- Let those people overtake a, a page like that. And, and it is limited only to, uh, uh, caregivers and, 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 patients. It's not for just people seeking info and gawking, you know? Sure. Um, so you um,
0: mentioned that the, um, the drug could potentially at those super, super high doses have a negative effect on liver health. So are there any stories um, where someone has also, or do you think it would be a good idea? Um, I know you're not a physician, but you know, you know a lot about this, um, that somebody perhaps would want to take something liver supportive, like liver Yes, absolutely. I,
1: we, like we, everybody on that Facebook page is recommending people take milk thistle along with yeah. it they're recommending that you actually do uh, stay on top of your uh, blood work in terms of your your liver markers. Fantastic. And I'm I'm all, I'm all for that. It, we have had a few people that have had to go off of it because their liver enzymes spiked and they didn't know what caused it. I'm I'm skeptical that the finbendazole calls it caused it, but I understand somebody going off of it because that happened. Sure. Um, but if I don't personally I I know that, personally, I know of 400 people taking this, just over time, and, and very little side effects, very little problems. I don't have any, even though I'm not a doctor and not a scientist, I have no problem saying to somebody, the downside is almost zero, and we have a lot of evidence that there's upside. Mm-hmm. So if you got no downside and you got a lot of upside, the only question I ask people is why not? Mm-hmm. My okay. big, my biggest frustration is, and I get two or three of these a week of somebody saying, "You know, you recommended this 12 months ago, and I just didn't believe in it, and now, I'm, now it's too late." Yeah. So the only failures we really know about are people that die within two to three weeks of starting. And it's just simply too late. It, it's it's going to take We Now, I don't know how fast this stuff works. Mm-hmm. In my case, I was three months between scans. So I know I was cured somewhere in that three-month span, but I don't know where. Mm-hmm. But we have a couple of success stories that would just make you shake your head and say that can't be true, that where it had impact is in as little as four weeks.
0: Wow. Wow! Um,
1: yeah really crazy and and i don't think these people are making this up or lying i think right. they i think they're telling the truth it's so the, the the real challenge by omrf is this all of these stories are are he said she said and we're relying on those people being honest mm-hmm. right so i want to turn that into even though it's anecdotal historical look back on what happened I want to turn those into audited cases mm-hmm. with, with a, a credible research institution doing the auditing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, I think when I'm done with that, people will go, okay, okay, okay. This is, there's something here. Mm-hmm. So, I know sure. there's something here because I'm still vertical on the right side of the grass. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. You <laughs> had mentioned earlier about some additional supplements that you were taking. Yes. Um, can you talk about those a little bit?
1: Well, let me start with the first one, which is very coincidental. Um, in my research, before I ever heard about finbendazole, I came to the conclusion that the, the whole complex of eight vitamin E's, four tocotrienols and four tocopherols, was such a powerful antioxidant and, and, and separately a cancer killer that I was already taking that. And then after I heard about finbendazole, I uncovered research that says fenbendazole works better in conjunction with vitamin E. (laughs) So I I really believe in that. I separately uh, believe in curcumin, as long as you can get uh, bioavailable curcumin that actually uptakes into the bloodstream. Because the stuff that you buy at CVS and and Walgreens, your body's only going to uptake maybe 15, 20% of it. And so there's plenty of them out there that you just Google bioavailable curcumin. Mm-hmm. Find like a something.
0: liposomal form?
1: Well, I don't even, I'm not, I don't know the science, um, behind it. I know that they've tested in labs that they can get 85% uptake of the curcumin into the blood. Uh, and I really believe in that as separately as a cancer killer, not as anything else. And then where it gets controversial is CBD. And now that, you know, there's age old uh, science behind RSO, which stands for Rick Simpson, a guy named Rick Simpson in Colorado, you know, started doing high THC, marijuana based oil, uh, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago and has has real success with it. I personally believe CB, the right broad spectrum CBD is with no THC is every bit as powerful as a THC. If somebody wants to convince me that uh, the combination of CBD and THC both together are better, i am probably a believer. I personally, I buy THC, um, but I don't do it every day. Like I do CBD. Um, and so really it is the curcumin, the CBD, the vitamin E are the other three adjuncts. Now there are two others that I, again, are in the category of, I'm going to keep them in reserve, so if I ever come out of remission, um, and that one is um, mycela mushroom extract, um, and the and the third and the fourth one, the fifth one is uh, and it's backed by real clinical trials in Germany. Is um, fermented wheat germ um, really? that has very powerful uh, cancer killing uh, properties, and in fact, a lot of people go to Germany just to to meet with this guy that is the kind of the godfather of fermented wheat jam. but you can buy it online from really the guy from, from Germany. Um, so, I mean, this whole world of alternative methods is uh, almost like a dark world that no, nobody believes in and everybody thinks it's, you know, weird and, and funky. Uh, you know, I learned the the hard way. You just, I mean, ha- what are the odds? I mean, first of all, what are the odds of a weekend doc in a box not taking no for an answer? I was going to wow. fly. I had no symptoms. I was going to fly off to Zurich and, and small cell lung cancer. It, it would have killed me within six months without a, without a diagnosis. So I had a weekend doc in a box, not take no for an answer. And, and then I had a veterinarian from Cordell, Oklahoma, that takes care of cattle and horses to save my life. So I mean, just
0: randomly, right? Uh yeah, I wouldn't.
1: I would have never been a proponent of alternative means of killing cancer if I hadn't just stumbled onto it quite by accident, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but now I'm a huge believer, and the more research you do, and I do a lot, is the more I'm convinced that there are methods out there that mainstream medicine simply—they're not—they're not motivated. To understand or know or or do, I mean. But that's one thing
0: I really love about your story, Joe, is that you did your own research. You became your own advocate. Mm -hmm. You found these other things, and you went, "Yeah, I'm going to give that a shot." Right, and that's what a lot of people would have just taken the prognosis.
1: Let me let me let me let me tell you another tie-in that relates to what you just said. In my blog, I I link. And in the Facebook page, I link a guy named Bruce Lipton. And if you want to have somebody you should put on a podcast, this is the guy. He is a cellular biologist and medical school professor at Stanford University, a little bitty tiny place out on the West Coast. (laughs) And um, he has proven scientifically of the power of positive thinking. This will blow you away. He can show you at the cellular level what's happening with signals coming from the brain, not from DNA. And, and, and it affects every cell in the body. Well, the reason I link that in my blog is because I am a hundred percent believer that uh, I'm just wired for positivity. I just can't. I, I'm, it's not possible for me to be negative. And I think that had a huge impact on my story. Mm-hmm. And um, so you, what you said is I was, you know, I, I was told to go home and die. And, you know, when nine out of 10 doctors tell you you're dead, you're supposed to lay down. But I just, I, when I was told to go home and hire a hospice, it didn't faze me. I knew positively I was going to find something. So I went looking. And, uh, I highly recommend people, there's a two and a half hour lecture by on YouTube, easy to find. There's several versions that one's like a 45 minutes, one's an hour, hour and a half, and the other one's two and a half. I highly recommend the two and a half hour version because yeah. he goes from A to Z through the science, hmm. uh, of, of belief and how your belief, uh, affects yourselves. And it's really, wow. really fascinating. Um,
0: well, and there's studies that show that type C personalities, people that tend to like internalize their emotions and their anger and stuff like that, they actually have a higher rate of developing cancer in the first place.
1: Well, so I, prom- I promise you, a they have. A higher, I promise you they have a higher rate of giving up. Yeah. And I will tell you what, um, when, when you're told, I don't even know how to describe the emotion. When you're told that you have no choice and you're going to die, um, and you got to go tell your grown daughters that, it's it's interesting. I didn't <laughs> I didn't care. I just was positive. And you put somebody on the same shoes that is just a, just prewired for negativity. Well, I'm ninety nine percent certain those people are going to die. Mm. Um, and there is a difference about what signals you're sending from your brain. Yeah. So, sure.
0: Definitely. What about children? Do you have any stories in your uh, that you know of so far yeah, well, of children that have utilized? Um,
1: I get samples? asked uh, three to five times a week about children. And I know I can give you 10 case studies where people are trying it with children and we don't know the results yet. I get asked that all the time. And here's my answer. I mean, it's bad enough that I'm not a doctor or a a scientist, you know, telling people what to do. And I'm not, I'm saying, this is my story. If you want to do something, you do it. But I, I'm even more cautious with children. I just say, look, and this goes back to kind of the, uh, my own database of doctors attitudes about this out of hundreds of people that have told their doctors, about 70% of the doctors will do a little bit of research, think about it before flippantly giving an answer and say, you know what? It's not going to hurt you. Why not go, go for it. And about 30% of the doctors just tell people they're going to die. If they try this, you know, they're just very negative. This goes back to who's positive and who's negative. It's the <laughs> same same within the doctor population. <laughs> so, um, I just say to people, look, uh, I'm not comfortable without you talking to a pediatrician and a pediatric oncologist because the dosage was recommended to me, which kind of goes back to the lady that was ground zero at Merck Animal Health, and uh, you know, I, so I have had said with they said, okay, what would you do if it was your child? And then I said, I can answer that. If it was my child, six years old, seven years old, only 65 pounds, I'd cut the dosage in half and go for it because the downside risk I think is just zero. Yeah. And so why, so why not? But it's a little bit tricky of a question when you start bringing up children. Now,
0: of course, if, it always to, is.
1: if you get to teenage level people, I've got a real, some really cool stories. I, I've got a a man that uh, went to lunch with in all the way in March of last year and his son had uh, widely metastasized melanoma and his he had literally hundreds of tumors through his entire body from melanoma. And I, he stopped me uh, in a restaurant uh, about the middle of December. And he said, if you got a chance, would you come over to my table and when you're done eating? I'm sure. So I went over to the table and he pulled up his cell phone. He said, there's the scan of my son with um, over 100 tumors from head to toe. And he "Swiped it to the left and showed the next skin. And it was dark, and it, and the only thing the guy, the kid, was taken was was Oh my goodness! That that kid was seventeen years old. Wow, so, <laughs>
0: crazy! It is crazy. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I if it were, I would say if it's my child, I'd be doing it, e- even if it doesn't help." It's, you know, kind of rule number one of medicine is don't make it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. No harm, right? No,
1: it, yeah. So if you're not going to do any harm, then in my attitude, cancer is so deadly, I'm going to throw everything but the kitchen sink at it. And I'm not going to look back because otherwise I'm going to die anyway. So yeah. I don't know. It's We are so hung up on... <clears throat> modern medicine saying it just got to be done, The you know, double blind study, clinical trial, you know, we don't believe in any uh, natural uh, cures or any other methods. We've got to do it our way or the highway. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of done with that, personally. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. And, you know, um, so are a lot of our listeners, so they can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and I think that, What You make a really good point there that we rely too heavily on the science being proven and the science showing this, that, and the other, but because we have come to rely so heavily on that, I think it's super amazing that now people are starting to do those clinical trials so that in the future those members of the population that perhaps would not take the attitude that you have of, I'm going to throw everything at the kitchen sink at it anyway, you know, there's, there's there will be those trials. There's another
1: another aspect of this that um, is going to sound altruistic, but it's true. Um, This stuff is so cheap and, and everybody in the world, including third world countries can benefit. And my biggest concern is is that Big Pharma will figure out a way to jack this thing up and make it una- unaffordable by the masses in Africa and Central and South yeah. America and Asia.
0: And even in the United States.
1: And, and the United States as well. So and let me give you a little bit of a story there. Um, we, we think we've successfully caught a, a egregious company with their pants down. And... And it ties back to the Johns Hopkins research on mebendazole. So these people, this company, I won't name their name, they bought the U.S. manufacturing rights to mebendazole and partnered with Johns Hopkins to do the glioblastoma brain cancer research. They took the product off the market entirely, Waited until the Johns Hopkins, and it, remember, this stuff is $5 at this time. When I started, this was $4.50 a week. And because of me, it's now, it's now doubled. <laughs> I, I have tripled the global unit volume of this dog medicine. <laughs> There's a lot of sick dogs around the world.
0: <laughs> the pet med people love you.
1: <laughs> well, so That's well, it
0: has free bones.
1: In the last two weeks, some of these sites have not only doubled their price, but now they're asking for veterinary prescriptions. So there's. Uh, so anyway, back to the story of mebendazole. This company took it off the market, waited until Johns Hopkins published amazing results with brain cancer, and then they relaunched the product in a new brand name and raised the price from five dollars a week to four hundred dollars a week.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so gross!
1: What they what they didn't plan on, what they didn't plan on, was people like Jane McClellan in the United Kingdom and Care Oncology in the United Kingdom coming over to the United States and saying to the masses, "Screw that! You can get a local compounding pharmacist to make it for seven dollars a week."
0: Yeah,
1: and so I checked with three local com- compounding pharmacists here in Oklahoma, and one of them is a really good friend of mine. He said, yeah, no problem, Joe. I can make that stuff for you for $7 a week. So these people trying to make $400 off of people, uh, I, I want to kill them. Um, but I, I think That's they're going to get, they're going to they're get subverted anyway by the compounding pharmacists. Um, good. Uh, yeah. Good. So I'm looking at all kinds of creative things. Uh, a clinic in Mexico um, where they can prescribe whatever the heck they want. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at, uh, a very creative idea. Remember Rotary International, the, the Rotarians decades ago, they literally, that one organization cured polio. And um, they, I think the organization is looking for their next hurrah. What's the next disease state that they could possibly cure? Well, one of the interesting things, it's an international organization, even in third world countries, coming up with a, a million test subjects that have cancer wouldn't be that hard if in third world countries of Africa and central and South America. So I'm thinking about standing up a a real trial with literally thousands of people um, and try to manage the data uh, in a way that it works because we don't have to use United States FDA. I mean, this, this, this thing is global and there's going to be They're going to be driving this uh, in in Central and South America and Africa. And, And it's going to save a lot of people at $5 a week. And, you know, our medical complex dedicated to cancer is insane. If you just take the Houston Medical Center in one, one and a half square mile area, there's 53 hospitals with 110,000 employees, seeing nine million patients from all over the world. Now, you just—the thought of putting those people out of business is just is nobody can get their brain around that. But you know, and in in my blog, I published a headline from Goldman Sachs that says, uh, "Curing disease is not a sustainable business model." Well duh, it ought to be, let's put all these people out of work and find other jobs for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of, let's not be, let's not cure anything because uh, we'll screw up our economy. Our
0: economy.
1: Yeah. Right. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> um, what about, so you had mentioned that a lot of these cases um, that you have are people that have had uh, widely metastasized cancer. hmm mm-hmm. Um, throughout the entire body. So are there stories about individuals with just very localized cancer that have also used this treatment and had success stories?
1: I'm sure sure there are. In fact, all of these success stories, uh, when the the scientists at OMRF helped me with this, and that hadn't started yet by the way, and it's going to take months, but I think they'll all come into a whole bunch of different buckets. My most pressing bucket that I want uh, audited is two things they were sent home to hire hospice because there was nothing else they could do mm-hmm. and we know that finbendazole regimen was the only thing they were taking so that there there was no competing uh, yeah. drug okay i want those cases front and center and i think there's 10 or 12 of those okay that we know of yet but they're new new stuffs coming in every week it's yeah. crazy um And then the next category would be sent home like it would be me sent home to higher hospice, but I was doing other things other than finbendazole. So somebody might want to question whether it was the finbendazole or not, but I don't, but a a logical person could question that. Sure. Um, And then the next category is, uh, you know, not as severe, and don't, not not in the category of go home and hire hospice, but this is really serious cancer and the odds are low, and then we have success. And then that's broken down between only finbendazole and fin, finbendazole and others. Sure. Um, and then, you know, um, then there's some people that are just kind of first stage cancer, really low grade. Uh, cancer that have, we have success stories with, so I think we'll have to end up breaking all kind of these in tears. in tears, right? Yeah. And then, and then, anything we can do so that uh, a logical, peer-reviewed scientist would say, "Okay, we can't ignore this." That's my that's my goal. It's never going to be considered a clinical trial because it's. Rear, rear, rear looking anecdotal data, but it, it doesn't matter. If it's audited properly, um, I think it'll open eyes and, and awake somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you've already opened a lot of eyes and awoken a lot of somebodies. And I mm-hmm. think it's amazing. I'm just, I'm, and you know, Being someone who's from Oklahoma, and you know, you said it yourself, local yokel, Oklahoma. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, I like, I feel, you know, I've never met you in your life, but I feel like I have this great connection with you right now because we're both from Oklahoma, and like, it's, it's, um, I don't know, it like hit a note with me when I when I read your story, as that is you know, when people are local, I just, I can't thank you enough for spending your time with us yeah, to share all of this with please us to me, be able please, to share with our listeners. Let me know
1: when it's going to be available and I'll link it.
0: Oh uh, yeah, for link sure. It every,
1: link it everywhere and have people look at it.
0: We would love that. So, um, this one more time. Fascinating. Thank yes, you. Yes. So just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, one more time. Can you go ahead? Can you let our listeners know, uh, your website, all of your social media? I know you already get a billion emails, but if you want to share that too, yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm um I'm, I'm trying to decide uh what to do about my email and my phone number because it's sure. it's, gotten, it's gotten so widespread. I get calls from country codes of countries I've never heard of. Um and I am thinking about trying to reclaim my personal life and get it a bit. Um so the the, the easiest way is that the the blog is at www.mycancerstory.rocks. Rocks. It's great that there's a new extension that's yeah. dot, dot rocks. Uh, I also own uh, 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 that I'm not using right now uh, a website called allcancer.sucks. dot sucks. <laughs> 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 there's a, there is actually a new extension called dot sucks. Um, and so it's all it's my cancer story dot rocks is the is the blog. Okay. Um, and then the the Facebook page, but I'll warn people, you're not going to get automatic admission into the Facebook page because you have to answer the questions, you have to read the blog, and you have to prove to these uh, admin moderators that have volunteered to help me that that you're there for altruistic reasons. It's a good way
0: to keep trolls out.
1: You're trying to keep the trolls out. <laughs> and, 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 and it is the same name, but it's a Facebook page by the name of All Cancer Story Rocks. Okay. Uh, my cancer story rocks.
0: Okay, my cancer Facebook story rocks.
1: page. So it, between the Facebook page and the blog, that's all I'm doing. I don't have time to expand that beyond that.
0: I don't know how you have time to do all of that and the continuing research. Well, I really, and I really podcast don't. interviews. I really don't. You sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, well I thank appreciate you, you guys. so
0: much. Yeah, right. thank you again, Joe. Um, we really, really appreciate you. All right. Thanks so much for listening in. If you loved what you heard today, make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review us, making it much easier for other listeners to find all of the information you're enjoying. We'd also love for you to head over to our social media at Wellness Speaks on both Facebook and Instagram and make sure you're signed up for our newsletter. You can do that over on our website. Talk soon.